Hi everyone, I'm Allie Stone and this is Discovering Hospitality. Now for most of my life, I've worked in the hospitality industry and even more specifically in restaurants. And in the past 15 years of my life, I've been a partner with the Original Joe's Franchise Group here in good old Edmonton, Alberta. And this has been such an incredible experience for me. Honestly, it's been a lifetime worth of learning and living that could have never been taught by any educational institution. And truthfully, it's provided me with the opportunities that I continue to deepen in my career as, as a leader and a coach and an entrepreneur. So if you're listening in and you're in the industry, you know that we have an incredible culture of people, stories, and experiences that don't often get shared with the world. And it's my hope that through this podcast, we can peel back some of the veil of our industry. We can peel back some of the layers of that onion, so to speak, so that The people we love that aren't necessarily a part of this industry can start to learn and see why we all love it so much. Now, this industry is all about people. It's about connection and it's about love. And if you don't love the word love, that's totally okay. Maybe interject the word care, but it truly is about connecting. Now, we have a saying in our organization with Original Joe's and State and Maine, and it's that people make the world beautiful. And I've been so lucky to be a part of that for so many years now. And now I have this incredible opportunity to share some of the amazing stories of our industry with the world, with all of you, our listeners. It's my hope that these stories will warm your heart. Uh, They might make you laugh and they might even be stories that make you cringe or think a little or change the way you see things. It's my mission to help all of you see how incredible hospitality people are and how committed they are to taking care of each other and other people. So without any further delay, let's dive into this week's podcast. I'm so excited you're here to join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another week of Discovering Hospitality. I'm so excited to be back here again this week. (laughs) Now, uh, things are going to get a little crazy up in the house today. (laughs) I have with me Miss Jamie Empey. Now, I'm actually going to let her introduce herself because we're doing something very unique today, and I'm going to let Jamie tell the story a little bit, but when I was asking Janie who should come on the podcast next, she said I should. (laughs) So I'm literally handing the golden host mic over to Janie today, and she is going to ask me some questions. So uh, let's hope I can stand up to the same standard as the rest of my guests have. Janie, thanks so much for being here today with me. Thanks so much for having me, Allie. When you were asked me who should be on the podcast I thought who better than the host your listeners are probably wondering who is this crazy woman who's talking about the service industry and interviewing all these awesome people and 
I get so much out of spending time with you and the conversations that we have. And so it's my dream to be able to sit here and ask you anything that I want to. <laughs> and I think that it's awesome that we can share that with your listeners. And if you're a first time listener uh, that's tuning in today, you're coming in on the right episode because you're going to get to learn all about Allie and what she's all about. And then going into the other episodes, kind of be able to have that background. So thank you for having me. I'm very excited. You're welcome. I'll introduce myself a little bit. So I work at one of Allie's locations. Uh, I work at the original Joe's in Terwilliger in Edmonton, and I've been a GM there for two years, but I've been with the company for seven years. And I have been in the service industry since I was 14 years old, so 12 years ago. And I'm really excited uh, to be able to share with the world today a little bit about what we do and what we're a part of. So we're going to just jump right in, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. I want to start off by talking just a little bit about discovering hospitality and what it means to you. So I guess, first of all, do you know how many listeners you have right now, approximately? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we get a little bit of stats on the site that it's hosted on. It's nothing crazy, but it looks like on average each week we get about 150 listeners per episode. Obviously depends on the person and kind of if they share it around and, and, and make it known. But um, I find that uh, I think that's fairly high <laughs> listening right now considering how long are we into this it's like 24 weeks or something so it's a fairly new podcast it's really cool because what's that that's telling me is that people are enjoying it and that there's uh there's a need in the world for this for these these beautiful stories and the sharing of this experience of hospitality and so it really energizes me when i you know go in and, and look at the stats and i can see that you know, somebody's listening in South Africa, somebody's listening in Mexico, somebody's listening in Toronto. And um, yeah, I just find that such a cool experience because the world all of a sudden doesn't seem quite as big. And it, it makes me feel so much more connected to people. So it's a really neat, it's been a really neat adventure for sure. That's so wild that you have people listening from all over the world. When you think about the service industry, around the world we often think of it being so different like in Australia it's so much different than it is here but really like the driving force behind it and what we're actually doing with like connecting with people is really the baseline that connects everybody regardless of where you are so that's so cool mm -hmm. so what would you like to see happen with the podcast like what's your vision for the future for discovering hospitality <laughs> it's kind of a loaded question. Like, I don't really know, Jamie. Like, my original intention, and I don't know if I've even ever said this on the podcast, but my original, original intention was, like, internal. So I just wanted to interview people in the company, share their stories with each other, and continue to build culture, because you know how important culture is to me in our organization. So it was, it was actually a strategy around that to begin with. And very quickly, it became very clear that it needed to be shared and that there was so many people that uh, even though maybe they weren't a part of our organization anymore, they still deeply care <laughs> about everybody and wanted to hear these, these stories. So what's my hope? I, 
I mean, I want to keep doing it <laughs> for sure. I hope that I hope I have the capacity to keep doing it for a while here because I do believe it's making well, it's at least making my life better. <laughs> Getting to connect with all these people and it's made the isolation and the alone time and COVID better for me. Um, but it also, you know, it's my hope that people continue to see the beauty in other people and the world because we're in such a crazy time right now. There's so many, for lack of a better word, there's so many shitty things happening, right? And um, you can get really caught up in that. And now I want to be clear because I don't, I don't want people to think that I'm like avoiding or being ignorant to what's going on because I'm definitely paying attention. But it, the mind frame, it's how we choose to see things in the world. Do we believe that everything is inherently messed up or do we believe that we can work through this together as human beings? and create a brighter, more beautiful future. And I guess maybe that's my hope for the podcast, that people can see that while yes, there are really shitty things happening in this world, there are also amazing people who love each other and love the world and the universe and really truly want to make it a better place. Sorry for putting you on the spot there. <laughs> no, I gave you free ring, you go for it. <laughs> Your listeners don't know this yet because they don't know me, but uh, I, they're going to learn very quickly that I, A, love to talk a lot, and B, I love to go deep really quickly with people. So <laughs> thank you for sharing that with us. That was a good question. <laughs> and it's going to continue. So I hope you're ready. <laughs> ready. Lay it on me. <laughs> All right. So my favorite question to ask every person that I meet is about their purpose in life. And I feel confident that I can ask you this question because I know that you've spent the time putting it down and articulating it. And I feel like it's gonna be very telling on why this podcast is the way it is and about your journey uh, in the industry. So are you able to kind of put it into words for us what your purpose in life is or what you feel really makes your soul happy? Uh, well, you know, that's been a long journey for me and um, a long journey of professional development and personal development. And uh, it's taken time. I think something, I want to say something deep inside of me has always known what it is, but I was never able to articulate it that well. And at this point in time, how I would articulate what I feel like, at least what I feel my external purpose is is to connect and share this idea of almost heart-centered leadership that like business and life don't actually have to be that different that we spend <laughs> the majority of our lives at work and we have the capacity to make that experience incredible remarkable amazing life-changing rather than this like grind where we get up and <laughs> drag ourselves every single day. So that, that's my purpose as a leader. And my inner purpose is really to almost <laughs> do the same, but for the world, like I just want to share love and messages of hope and new beginnings and possibility and opportunity. And I just feel like there is so many incredible things in this world if we pay attention to them. Um, I used to be a person who didn't pay attention to them. So I know what it's like to miss those beautiful things. And so my inner purpose now is to shine a light on that and help other people see that as well. 
This is so incredible because <laughs> when I just think about my journey through hospitality specifically, but also the people that I know in other industries in the world, there is this promotion of work-life balance and that we, you turn off your emails when you leave the office at the end of the day. And when you're working in a serving job, you come in, you make your money, you're in your section and you might have friends that work there. But once you leave, you don't want your boss to be calling you to ask you to come in for a shift or continue your education and learning outside of the building. But within our company, we really promote this work-life integration instead. And it, that's a really big challenge for a lot of people to understand, mm -hmm. especially coming from the industry that we come from. So you said that learning your purpose was this journey, which I think it is for everybody. And it changes throughout your lifetime as well, I think. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that, but yeah. you always ask people that come on your podcast to talk a little bit about, about their journey through the service industry. So could you share with us your, how you got into the service industry and what your journey along the way has been and maybe pinpoint for us a couple of the really big moments that have helped you come to this place of purposeful living and this desire to share this like heart led leadership with the world. Sure. Um, so yeah, <laughs> if you've been listening for a while, you've heard me say this, but I always say that um, sometimes those of us in the industry are a bit of misfits. We don't know where we belong, but I'm actually just saying that about myself. <laughs> I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. So I was intelligent, but I was lost when I was young. I was uh, disconnected from who I was. And, you know, a series of events in my life had sent me on that path, but I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. So I almost fell <laughs> into the hospitality industry. Like most of us, I find. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't really intentional, which is really um, interesting. I was actually talking to my, oh my gosh, my old friend, so she got me my very first serving job. I was talking to her yesterday and we used to work. I'm not even, it was, it was like the dingiest bar you have ever seen. <laughs> and we used to work there uh, together. And I remember when the first night she had me come in, some lady was asking me for a Ryan Coke. Neat, neat. And so I'm pouring this Ryan Coke with ice. I put it on the bar and she's like, just wasted, right? <laughs> Screaming at me, this isn't an effing Ryan Coke needed and blah, blah, blah. So I put it up like three times. And on the third time I just turned around and I was like, I don't effing know what you want. Like, I clearly don't know what neat is. And she was like, it's now friggin' ice, whatever. And so with me and this lady are like having it out. This is my very first night in the service industry and I went home and my friend Leah texted me and she's like okay you know five o'clock tomorrow I was like oh hell no no I will not be back tomorrow that is not happening <laughs> I am not coming back and uh she's you know she would obviously convince me because she was a good friend and um I went in that night and so this is what's interesting because this industry always starts out about money and I went in that night and I got tipped out from the night before and I made like $400. Now, 
I've been in the industry for a long time. So that was a lot of money back then. And I was like, uh, <laughs> you know, right. It was, I was like, do we make this kind of money all the time? She's like, well, that was a really busy night, but yeah, like it's really good money. So I ended up staying in this place for a while and it's like, it's good, right? It's a good experience, but I know it, it can't last. And um, then I found myself uh, getting kind of into, you know, better functioning businesses <laughs> in the industry, uh, trying different things. I worked on golf courses in the summers and did like really fun stuff like that. I used to work at the Edmonton Petroleum Club. I loved that job. It was so fun because um, it was my first, so I always pinpoint this is my first experience of real community because it was private and it was all members. So you got to know every single person's name in there. And they came every day and golfed. And, um, you know, sometimes I was out on the cart, sometimes I was serving in the, in the restaurant or the banquets and the golf tournaments and stuff. And yeah, it was just such a cool community of people. And they all really cared about each other and they had a lot of fun together. And I just thought, this is like, this is a cool way of adulting. <laughs> You know, it's pretty young at that time, but so I did that for quite a few summers because I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed the connection. And then I started moving on to the, my jobs, like in the winter, obviously I couldn't do that in the winter. I started to learn a little bit about leadership. So I was serving, I was serving at the sawmill for quite a while, almost five years. And I was serving there at the time that it went through the transition. So it was like when they started to franchise so um, the ownership changed when we were there. And that was part of the reason why I kind of had to move on. It wasn't quite the same anymore, but that was my initial first step into learning about leadership and what that looked like and what was possible. And the really cool part about that experience for me was uh, Chris always brings it back. And he's always like, you love that GM. And Chris was always like, he didn't really do anything, but he, he let me do everything. So he let me completely open my mind to creativity. So I created full training programs, different ways of hiring, um, just different ways of running sections and running the room and running the restaurant. And I just, I loved it. Like I loved every moment of it. I had so much freedom and they were so impressed <laughs> with everything I was doing. So I was like, okay, this is good. Um, but I still wasn't really fully connecting this piece of people and leadership. So I was, I was leading through almost, I don't know if dictatorship is the right way, but I was leading through, you have to come with me rather than let's do this together. Um, and so I had a lot of struggles in those early years and uh, had a trouble getting buy-in, didn't have great tenure <laughs> with the team. So things like that. So there's still a lot of lessons for me to learn. And it wasn't too long after this experience with the sawmill that original Joe's came around. And I knew that there were opportunities to get better. And Chris and I both knew that. And um, when we went to original Joe's, we just said no. <laughs> we were like, we're going to change every mold or every, you know, everything that everybody says is crappy about the service industry. As soon as somebody says that, we're going to take that as a trigger to change it. Cause now that we're owners, we don't have to do that. We can do anything we want and we want to take care of people. We want people to want to work with us. So it was a journey of discovering what we liked and what we didn't like. And in that just came this deep connection with people, you know, 
for me anyway, so I shouldn't talk about Chris. <laughs> I'm sure he would probably say a lot of the same things. But for me as a leader, as I began to care more about people and see them as human beings and make that shift from that people were out to get you to the people um, cared about each other and wanted to inherently wanted to work together and be together and create community. I couldn't help but like fall in love with the people and fall in love with the act of leadership and fall in love with just this idea of a better world, a better business and a better experience. So do your listeners know who Chris is or anything about him and how he's like played a role in this all? I think so. So I've had him on twice now. And um, the first time he came on, we talked about culture. So we had a really great conversation around like what our company's culture looks like and some of the, like the fun times we had. And the second time I had him on, we talked about the heart part. But I don't know that I have ever, if I've ever sat down like on the podcast myself and talked about Chris, but so obviously he's my husband <laughs> and we met way back in the sawmill days so way before uh the time of <laughs> original joe's so we kind of came into this together it was interesting because when we met each other we were both very young and didn't know a lot about leadership looking back it's interesting because i i always say we grew up together <laughs> which is a really unique experience for people i don't think a lot of people get that in their lives and we we grew together so we both grew into this idea of, yeah, just loving, loving leading and loving the opportunity to create an experience for people that's meaningful. So he's deeply, <laughs> deeply passionate about it too. Yeah. So you knew in your heart that taking care of people was the key for yourself, but did you ever think that it was also the key to having such wild success? in this industry, in this job, in restaurants, just in like business in general? No, I didn't. I never made the correlation and now I do all of the time. So yeah, in anything I do, I think about it. And so, you know, obviously I'm going into some new ventures now and everything I do, I think about how I can better take care of people. And it's, it's crazy how we have to be ready to make that connection. Um, but once we do, it's just this like incredible experience. And I just thought taking care of people was right in my heart. It was what felt good. And I thought if I felt good, I'd feel like I was a better person. I'd rest my head easier at night. And all of those things are so true, but the ripple effect was so much further than my eyes could see. And I had no idea and I still don't. Like sometimes people come back to me and they're like, oh, such and such a time when you said such and such a thing. And I'm like, what? And, and they're like, I never forgot it. I get those things. And I'm like, wow, I haven't even been paying as close of attention as I should have been. <laughs> but um, it's pretty remarkable to see that when you put that kind of like energy out, how it'll ripple out and come back to you. It's very, very cool. You and Nicole talked on her episode about how taking care of people is sometimes not easy. I think we often get this concept, especially I find when we're doing orientation with new team members and we're sharing this with them, that it's so exciting. It's like, oh my gosh, I just get to do nice things for people all the time and write cute notes and take care of drinks off bills and yeah. do community events. 
but it's so much more than that. So much more than that. And so I don't know if you're maybe able to articulate this, but what does, what does taking care of people really mean to you? Like when you look at the big picture, that's more than, you know, just serving people beers or spending time with them. Like what does, what does it really mean in your heart? Well, I think a lot of it layers into this idea of one of my highest values for myself right now is integrity. And it's how I describe it is doing what's right, even when nobody else is looking. And even if that is the hard thing to do. And there's been so many times in my career and in my life that I've had to have uh, really hard conversations with myself <laughs> or other people um, and become very aware of things that have transpired and not sweep them under the rug. So that was something I just knew early that I didn't want to do. I didn't want people to feel that they didn't matter. Hmm. That's how I would describe it. I want everybody to know that interacts with me that no matter what you matter, and I actually care about you enough to help you when it's hard and to help you when it's good. That's truly taking care of people. You were talking before when you were working at the sawmill and learning about leadership that you were leading from this place of compliance almost, like you have to follow me, so follow me. Yeah. And that key of like, I really care about you and like, yes, you have to do it. I say if I'm your superior or employer or whatever, but that compliance is like 10%, 90% mm -hmm. of it is follow me because I care about you. Could you tell us a story about a time that while you were learning this skill of having to have these conversations when it was hard maybe something that you look back on and laugh at now but could you tell us a story about a time that you had to do something like this and struggled i feel like we probably have listeners who are thinking like yes this is me this is where i'm at right now i care so much about my team and i want to take care of them but i can't even get them to clean their tables because I'm still in that compliance phase. And when you don't have a good mentor or person who's uh, displaying those behaviors for you, it's really difficult to learn them on your own. And you went through that journey. Mm -hmm. So can you maybe either share a piece of advice or a story to kind of help us connect with that? Well, there's a story that comes to mind. It's funny. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> here's one for you. Okay. This is a time where I big time paid the price. So I, I was general manager at Terwilliger and it was in the phase. So I was the GM at that store, just for listeners to give a bit of context. I was the GM of that store at the time that it went through a major growth cycle and turned into the flagship store it was now. Very cool experience. Probably one of some of my greatest learnings happened in those years. And this was one of them. So I had a kitchen manager. I won't mention his name. I was struggling with him and we were both struggling with our communication. Um, and I needed, we were getting so 
busy <laughs> and I needed some things to be done. I needed the game to be up. I needed us, I needed us to level up. And I was trying to communicate with this uh, gentleman in a way of, you have to do this. This has to happen. And I was getting really frustrated because it wasn't happening. <laughs> and so, you know, every day I would come in, we'd be out of food, we'd be 86 all these items, things would be happening and the kitchen would be in chaos. The front was in chaos, right? Like everything was in chaos because we were growing so fast. So it was everything I could do to hold on to the front. I needed this guy to like step it up in the back and, and I needed him to be a part of the team, but I was not approaching it right. Anyway, it was a Thursday night and it was rocking busy. Patio was open, full inside, full outside. One of our highest sales nights we had had. And uh, he was on, you know, like a 12 to eight or something. And me kind of the same thing, but like, I just never left in those days because it was just so crazy. You just didn't know when you could leave and, and they'd be okay, right? So he left, they got a whole nother rush. It was, it was super crazy. And I remember texting him and saying, you know, we really, just got to sit down and talk about your hours and um, this just didn't work tonight, whatever. Um, let's talk about it tomorrow. No response. I wake up in the next morning. It's Friday. <laughs> We're going into a weekend and obviously the craziest weekends we'd ever seen in that store. And five minutes before his shift was supposed to start, he texts me and says, I just want to say thank you for everything, but I'm not coming back. <laughs> And I was like, I remember looking at my phone and being like, <gasps> I am so screwed now. I don't know how to cook. I don't know how to run a kitchen. I don't know how, and this is in like the years. So some people, if, you, if you're running businesses in the years where the huge oil boom was happening, we couldn't get team members. It was wild. And now I've lost my kitchen manager. So I call, uh, I call in some supports in the front and I go, I go in the back and I work his 12 to eight and I'll never forget. I was working the line in the center and just plating. Cause I don't know how to, I didn't know how to put the meals together, but I was like, I can at least plate them. And you know, after hour six or seven, I remember there was just like tears pouring down my face and all the servers were standing in front of me. Food was taking hours, hours. I was completely crashing the kitchen. Nobody could step in. And this went on, I think I started at like 11 and I didn't get offline till like 11 at night. <laughs> and I remember sitting down at that night and being like, I have effed up so bad. And it was such a huge lesson for me in the importance of connecting with people. <laughs> And I was like, I can never do that again. And so Janie, I didn't just pay the price that day. I paid the price for six months. I had to run that kitchen for six months. I had to learn how to place Cisco orders. I had to learn how to do inventory. I had to learn how to cook. It was wild. <laughs> and of course, every, all the work I had been doing in the front was starting to fall, right? Because I couldn't put as much attention on it. And I was just like juggling and struggling and... Yeah, it was a nightmare. I was never home. I never slept. It was wild. And uh, yeah, I remember as soon as I got that text and I was like, I have messed up so bad right now. That is every front of house manager's worst fear, I think. We put so much trust in our back of house team. I know like in my store, 
now in Terwilliger, I have an amazing kitchen manager who I don't have to think about those things. And him and I have a great relationship, thank goodness. <laughs> but it has to be a focus. Totally. And I would say that, you know, there, there's always been this long argument, is it the back of house or the front of house that, <laughs> that really holds a restaurant together? It's both. They have to work in unison, but the back is the heart. Like they're the core, they're producing this food, right? And I'm in there on a Friday trying to slap plates of food together that I know are substandard. And I can't do anything about, I can't do anything about like the onslaught that's coming. Yeah, it was a total nightmare. And I was like, never again, <laughs> never again. I can't, this can't ever happen. And so that was a huge, huge lesson for me. Going through COVID and watching what happened with a lot of restaurants shutting down um, and just doing takeout became very, very clear to many of us, I think, that the, the kitchen is the core, but the front is the connection. You can think about it like gears on a clock, right? And they don't all move unless another one moves and one moves and it makes the other one move, right? Like. There's no right or wrong here, it's, but it, it's unison. And that's actually what makes the hospitality industry so cool because it's people and it's connection and it's community. And when people really get that on a team, you walk into a restaurant on a Friday night and have dinner with your significant other, you know if that restaurant's in flow and you get a beautiful plate of food and it is like the most incredible experience. I love that when I get to go out and just have this like incredible experience and you know there was passion and purpose behind everything everybody did in that. There's like little pieces of love sprinkled all over every part of that experience. <laughs> and that's what makes restaurants beautiful. Okay, so you ask every person that comes on the podcast this question. So I naturally need to ask you, I know for a fact that you have thousands of these stories. Uh, maybe I'll just preface with this a little bit, but you've alluded to Spew a few times in the podcast. <laughs> and so uh, I'll just let the listeners know a little bit maybe about that. So every week, all of the GMs from our 12 locations meet and it's just our time to spend to an hour and a half together and we share stories from the week. Um, we just talk about what's going on. We have a lot of collaborative conversation. And so that's our time all together as a region to try and grow ourselves. Could you just share for us actually really quickly how the name Spew came to be? Why do we call it that? Oh man, I don't know. It was like a long time ago and Chris was all about acronyms back then and so spew came out of it it's like spewing passion everywhere is the acronym i think tanner came up with it but yeah chris was like done we don't even need to think of anything else so it's just called spew forever and it's stuck it's lived on for years and years but some people take it the other way and they're like barfing like they don't really get it <laughs> so so it's interesting the context some people take it in sometimes you is difficult, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's part of growing. Yes, yeah. So we spend the first half an hour usually of our hour and a half together sharing stories. We call them good news stories. Stories of what's happened during our weeks, things that are going on with our team members or in our, even in our personal lives. So I find it really funny that you ask your guests this because it's just so reminiscent of 
our time that we spend together. So what is your number one people make the world beautiful? <laughs> Good news story. Well, I knew you were gonna ask me this question, so I started thinking about them. And then I got overwhelmed because there was just too many. I didn't, like, I was like, I don't know what to tell her. So I came down to two and I'm still deciding in my mind right now. Okay, let me share this one with you. I'll, we've been talking a little bit about Chris. But let me share this one with you. So two and a half years ago, my husband Chris suffered uh, a pretty major brain injury and it put him in a place where he could no longer work. So, you know, as Janie's talking about us doing this together and growing together as leaders, um, We've all suffered a really major loss in this organization and I've suffered it as a wife and he suffered it as a husband and it's been really, really challenging. And it was a really interesting time when it happened. We actually weren't in the country, we were in Japan. Obviously that is, if anybody has ever been in a situation like that, like in a medical and emergency in a country where you don't, nobody speaks your language is pretty wild to begin with. We managed to get home to Canada. And when we got home, it was, it just felt so surreal, right? You know, when like tragedy strikes and things happen in your life, it takes a while to almost like come out of the clouds and come kind of come back to earth and like figure out what reality is going to look like. And I remember we were home and we were, you know, trying to get some medical attention for Chris, but we were kind of home every night. Uh, in and out of the U, U of A, um, and this went on for, for a while, for a good couple weeks, and every time uh, we would come home from the U of A, there would be something on my doorstep. So somebody would have baked a pie, or made sandwiches, or there was like a casserole, or a bowl of salad, a bottle of wine, because people knew I really needed that <laughs> at that point in time. Um, you know, just like, and, and I, looking back, I'm not sure how long it went on for, but I think it was close to three weeks every day, <laughs> something. And this was not, this was not from our, some of it was from our friends, but this was mostly from our original Joe's community. This was people reaching out and saying, I see you. And I see you guys are struggling right now and we don't know what to do, but this is, this is all we can do. And uh, yeah, it was really crazy. And so every time I'd open the door, obviously I'm like sobbing my eyes out. <laughs> I'm like getting emotional talking about it right now. At one point, and this was kind of like the, <laughs> the climax of it all, um, the, the doorbell rang, we were home and I went to the door and nobody was there. And I looked down and my entire doorstep was full of freezer meals. So there was months and months and months of meals that I was able to just put in my freezer. And I love cooking and I love having dinner with Chris and I love spending this time. I didn't even know how to like pull something out of a fridge to make a meal at this time. And I don't know how people knew that, but they just somehow knew. And like looking back, I think that's such a cool example of how that connection in that community formed over the years that they just knew what we needed and it's also so ironic that it's food <laughs> yes you know like food fills our bellies but it also fills our hearts and uh it drives connection and it was just 
it was incredible what happened. And, and I mean, you know, there's so much more to that story too. So, and I mean, this is just a testament to the culture of this organization. You know, what was it like six or eight months later, I found a program in Portland, Oregon that uh, Chris could go and try like a neurological rehab program. So he was not getting better. He still hasn't gotten better. So what has happened to him, nobody knows. And we're kind of, for lack of a better word, stuck at this point. And um, so that's really devastating to live with every day. But anyway, we found this thing in, in Portland. I remember saying to him like, it's American, so we're gonna have to pay for it. And it's gonna be, it's gonna be pricey, but like we can, we can do this and we'll figure it out. And I feel like it was about, I don't know, 30 grand or something. It was expensive for two weeks. And I was like, we need to go try this. We have to at least see when we came back, you guys handed us the money. And it's not about money, right? Like, yeah, it was like, just like all the love, like, and I don't, looking back, I don't even know if I even paid a single cent for that. I think you guys all raised all of the money for that for him. And that's just crazy. And so I've been a part of doing that for so many other people in the organization over the years. I never thought that anybody would ever have to do that for us. And it was deeply impactful. It's the ripple effect of taking care of people and how those waves came back to you because of everything that you have done. I just want to say thank you for being brave and vulnerable enough to share that with everyone today because it is really it's such a massive part of the place that we're in right now as an organization and as you know as like partners and going through that journey with Chris that is one of my favorite stories too <laughs> And I think if you had asked me that question, I probably would have told the story about Chris as well. So it's very fitting. It's hard to tell, you know, like I, I know it in my heart, but then when I speak it out loud, I get super emotional. Yeah. There's just so much love in it. Do you think that any leader or any culture or any business can accomplish this type of really deep-rooted connection and care? Yes. <laughs> I think hands down they can. They just have to choose. It's not a one foot in, one foot half in, one foot out the door kind of thing. So once you start, you have to be vulnerable. You have to be authentic. You have to be open. You have to be willing to admit your mistakes. <laughs> you have to be willing to fall on your knees dust them off and get back up and have the humility to say, I fucked up. <laughs> and that means a lot to people. But society has taught people over the years that that's not rewarded in leadership and in business, and even in some cases in life. And some people live that way. It's a hard way to live. It's a hard thing to accept your own failures. But I think sometimes as leaders, it's equally as difficult for us to accept other people's failures. And 
to understand it's okay. That's a journey I'm going through right now is learning how to allow my team members the, you know, I always say I'm like, I'm big on empowerment and I'm big on letting people figure things out. But then when I reflect on a, something that they've maybe not done the way that I expected them to, or that they didn't accomplish the task to a level that I, that I would have hoped, then I just step in and do it for them instead of allowing them to fail and then learn from it. And I, this is very, very common in our industry where everything is like split second. You don't have, you almost don't have time sometimes to fail. And we spend a lot of time being reactive when people do make mistakes. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's really interesting to talk about about that journey as, as leaders and like yeah. learning that that's okay. I think it's interesting. I've been having this thought lately that, tell me what you think about it because it's a new thing for me, but that as soon as we're in a space as leaders that we're reactive, we're no longer leading. We have to be proactive and we have to be thinking about people ahead and that's how we help them grow and become who they want to be and now i understand that our industry is crazy and fast-paced but i still think that if we have the mindset of being proactive and not as reactive our team and our people will grow so much faster i think we get caught up in that everything just happens in a flash and a pan and that's how it goes but truth be told we know it's going to happen on friday <laughs> You know, it may not exactly be exactly as we foresee it, but it's pretty damn close. <laughs> if we can just make a little bit of a shift in our thinking, it might actually help our team grow in really, really impactful ways. So I'm thinking a lot about that lately and the power in that to lead. Yeah, I love that. It's almost like we've been having a lot of conversation around like accountability and expectation. And it's yeah. almost in the same realm of that where we need to have the proactiveness isn't you know like you can't predict if someone's going to call in sick so you're not going to schedule an extra person on a Friday night but having being proactive in the sense that you are very clear about what needs to happen and what you expect out of that and giving people the tools and the resources to accomplish whatever they need whether that's training whether that is scheduling whether that's, you know, meeting with them three times a week to follow up or whatever that is. Yeah. We were on that webinar the other day, but um, I've taken this kind of like an idea from this, but like if Kevin, the fryer cook, you know is weak on fryers, you can have a conversation with him before the rush to build some confidence and not just throw him on those fryers and cross your fingers and hope that everything goes okay, right? So. Um, it is, it's just not just, cause I always say it's just, but it's not, that's not a fair thing to say because uh, a shift in perspective takes awareness. It takes time. It takes dedication. It takes making mistakes, but, uh, they're so rewarding when you can get there. So. And that's so typical. We, we have all worked in jobs where we're thrown into a section on a Friday night with half the restaurant and we all we know about the menu is that there's fries on it <laughs> and we're told to sit or swim and yeah. we are 
taught kind of this thought process that we're you're either going to make it or you're not going to make it. It's you're going to sink or swim. And I personally feel like the best servers, best bartenders, best line cooks I've ever met in my time in my career are the people that swam, but needed a lifeguard beside them the whole time until they were able to take the water wings off and go by them. I think we have a responsibility as leaders in this industry to change that too. I don't think that has to be the norm. And you know, I'm big on training and I believe, and even servers get frustrated about it sometimes. They're like, just let me know, I can do this. And it's like, that's totally cool. I get it, but let's just, let's just slow the roll. Like what's, what's the rush, right? <laughs> we'll make sure you make money. Don't worry about that. Like, let's just make sure we get this right and we do it together. And a piece of training is building that connection with your team, right? So, so I have prepared a flash round. <laughs> okay. So are you ready? I am 100% ready. Okay. Question number one is if you could have anyone in the world who is alive today on the podcast, who would you want to interview? That's kind of cool. <laughs> what a question. Anyone, hey? Arlene Dickinson. She is a businesswoman. She's been involved in restaurants. And I think she has this interesting eagle eye view of how things happen and how to be successful while taking care of people. So I'd be curious to uh, pick her brain a little bit. I have yeah. seen her speak a couple of times. And, oh, have you? Oh, yeah, cool. and talk about her journey through the service industry and about how, you know, she would hire people that have worked as servers before she would hire someone else because they've learned how to run their own business essentially and you're responsible for yeah. for everything yourself. So that would be so cool. <laughs> Arlene, if you can hear this, we want you. All right, next question is, who has had the deepest impact on your life? Or who's been the greatest mentor to you? I don't know if I can share about uh, David's wall, but uh, someone that's close to both of us, he talks about this wall that he has, and he has pictures of all the people on it who have been influential to him in his life. So like his parents and mentors that he's had. Or, um, so I'm wondering who who's on your wall? I think if I was to pick somebody in the podcast right now, it would it would be Chris. Chris has continued to shape and change my life through this entire experience of 20 years with him. But one thing that happened when I met Chris was that I actually didn't really believe in people. And I didn't believe that people were good. I believed that they were actually inherently evil <laughs> and crappy and everybody was out to get each other. He showed me that that wasn't always the case. And that lesson and that learning from him has impacted my entire life moving forward since I made that connection. So he would be in the center <laughs> of my wall with a little heart around him. <laughs> I think there are many people in the world who would say that exact same thing, that he had that impact on them as well, including myself. And you get to spend every day with him. I do. Girl. <laughs> Last question. 
if there was one piece of advice that you could give to people who are just starting out their leadership journey, what would your one piece of advice be to someone who's new to wanting to lead from their heart? I think it would be to release the need to armor up, to be who you are, to be who you authentically are, because the world doesn't want to know some walled up version of who you are and people don't want that from a leader they want to know who you are they want to know you're human and they want to connect with you and so staying in touch with that takes vulnerability <laughs> but also creates the most beautiful experiences because when you're open and vulnerable you actually don't miss them either um, so i think that that would be like lifelong leadership advice because it's easy to roll up the window it's it's very easy it's a natural instinct as human beings we go into fight or flight all the time i have to remind myself often not to roll up the window on people <laughs> but yeah i think it would be to be who you are people want to know you you're beautiful i love that okay well that was amazing <laughs> first of all I'm so glad that we're going to get to share some of this with people who are listening to Discovering Hospitality. Thank you so much for trusting me to dig into your life a little bit uh, instead of the other way around. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate your vulnerability and being able to share having me on here. So no problems and yeah thank you i will always put my trust in you because i love you and i think you're a beautiful person so <laughs> this was awesome thank you for letting me talk it was very very enlightening to hear myself a little bit i'm always asking everybody else so thank you for that i really appreciate it Janie. you're welcome i love you too <laughs> well that's a wrap everyone another week of discovering hospitality and one more amazing guest on to share their beautiful stories thank you so much to all of you our listeners for your continued support the success of this podcast is totally because of all of you and to that i owe my deepest gratitude now if you enjoyed today's episode share it with a friend and as always don't forget to rate leave a review and subscribe to this podcast. I love hearing your feedback. And remember, the world is always made more beautiful by people like you. Don't ever forget it. Until next week, take care everyone, and we'll see you then.